Welcome to the Lift Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is the greatest lift in life. We are so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will give you a lift of encouragement through this message. We are in a series called Living the Dream. This is week two. Um, How many of y'all enjoyed last week? Come on, let me hear you. I heard a lot of good feedback from it. If you didn't hear it, that's okay. We'll, we'll catch you up, but we do have a podcast and a YouTube channel that you can always make sure you get the sermons and you can get the full experience on Facebook. Um, but uh, uh, last week, um, I, I, I talked a little bit about uh, a metaphor, and, and I talked a little bit about uh, uh, poison, uh, sin in our life is a lot like po- itching poison ivy. It feels so good in the moment, but you know it's jacking up your future. Well, listen, I know there's many of you who pray for us. Uh, 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 thank you for praying for your pastor. Um, scripture says pray for your pastor. And there has been many people who's like, how do I pray for your pastor? Believe it or not, pastors need prayer too. And, um, and, and we covet your prayers. Here's one way you can always pray for your pastor. Um, this is a lifelong message here. Whatever they're preaching on, the enemy loves to, to uh, uh, kick up turmoil in that area. So like as we approach marriage series, pray over our marriage. We've had one or two tough uh, uh, disagreements, holy disagreements, as we approach the marriage series. And I think it's just spiritual enemy trying to, uh, you know, warfare. And, 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 and when we're trying to boost your faith, we've had those things too. Well, last week I had to just open my big fat mouth and use the poison ivy metaphor. So let me tell you how you could have prayed for me this past week. Uh, I get to go play golf with um, another lead pastor friend of mine from across the bridge. And uh, I hit a ball slightly off course. I might have been in the weeds, you know, just trying to (laughs) redeem one more ball because I had lost a few that day. And I was kind of climbing down into this area. I'm like, oh, I can reach that. And as I grabbed it, I remembered thinking, what is this bushy substance right here? And then I thought, Lord, no. <laughs> I had put my hand right into poison ivy, and I had the opportunity of living out my message the rest of the week because my ankle was quite itchy. But uh, come on, hey, we're doing well, and uh, I hope you enjoyed last week's message. And we're going to um, talk a little bit about that. Last week's message was this, if I could put it in a sentence, it is, the, the culture's dreams, the world's dreams, their version of living the dream, we've never been more wrapped up in it. You know, hashtag relationship goals, hashtag career goals, come on. Everybody's always trying to tell you how to hashtag live your best life. And the culture's view of living the dream is like holding a promissory note from a bankrupt bank. Oftentimes when you get there, it feels empty. We talked about that last week. How uh, it's like winning a bunch of chips at a casino table only to find out the casino house is broke. And there is nothing behind the chips that have been promised to you. And so um, Psalm 1611 gives us good perspective. You, everyone say you, pointing up. You, you will show me the way of life. Not, not you and you or me or uh, all of my social media, all of you. Come on. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy, say joy, of your presence. And uh, say that word with me, pleasures of living with you forever. I didn't do that as good. I didn't set you up well. Come on, I did better in the first experience. But listen, there's joy and there's pleasure in his dream 
There's often empty promises when we get to the destination in a lot of the world's dreams. And so over the next three weeks, starting today, um, we're going to tackle three things that often kill God's dream in our life. Today, we're going to talk about fame. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about comfort. And the following week after that, we're going to talk about affirmation um, or, or what I like to call the disease to please. And many of us suffer from this disease, and we want to get free of these things so we can live God's dream. So today's message is the fame factor. If you like to take notes, write that down and join with me in prayer. God, our hearts are open to you. We once again place our lives on the potter's wheel. We pray that our heart would be soft and moldable so we, you can make us into your image. Let us, let us not be hard so that any breaking has to happen, but instead, Father, impress upon our heart with whatever you desire. We're here to learn from you and to grow closer with you. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. The fame factor as at an all-time high in human history. (laughs) Never before has there been an era where so many people are trying to become famous all at once. And now, this is is certainly... been made easier by the fact that technology has introduced social media. Um, Now, you used to have to have a a ton of skill and talent to be noticed on TV. Now, all you need to do is smash your face in bread, and you can can become popular as a YouTube influencer, right? Like, it doesn't take much talent anymore. You could write a blog, you could write whatever you want, and you can become Uh, famous today and what I fear is that I don't want our generation to go down in history books as the most narcissistic generation ever to have lived at one time there's never been more people seeking to be known recognized appreciated or admired all at the same time than in the era we find ourselves in And I don't blame this on anybody. I'm just saying our context has set us up that this becomes a very relevant message. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's not me, Pastor. I get to take today off because I don't struggle with the need to be famous. I don't want to be noticed. I'm an introvert. Um, A little side side joke. Um, How do introverts make friends? They wait for an extrovert to make friends with them and then introduce them to all of their friends. Come on. Yeah, come on. Some, some people are just like, I don't need to put myself out there. I just like laying low and I just like taking it easy. But you might be surprised that most of us have micro cravings of fame inside of us. See if any of these apply to you or someone you know. Like over committing all the time. Because when I overcommit, I can be special or I can be noticed or I could uh, work really hard and make a name for myself in certain circles. And so I take on too much. Or what if it's um, a a joke that I know is a little crude and a little on the dark side and a little offensive. But if I say it anyway, I'll have everyone laugh. And so I lean into a micro craving of fame and I say the joke anyway. Or, or, Or how about wanting credit for all that you do? God forbid your boss take credit for it. God forbid somebody not realize how much you pray, how much you give, how hard you work, um, all the things that you've accomplished. Or what about this one? 
crushed by even the smallest correction or criticism in your life. Because I always need to be seen as um, a superstar and I always got to maintain an impression of fame. And so it's so difficult to receive correction or criticism. Or how about this one? Anybody up in here ever deleted a social media post because it didn't get the traction you thought it should have? I better go ahead and get that one off of there before people think I write lame posts. Oh, everything they do go viral, so I'm going to go ahead and delete it. I've had social experts come and tell me, Pastor Drew, you might want to take that uh, post down because you didn't get much traction. And I'm just like, I don't care. This is what I was <laughs> it was from God's word or it was, you know, a family member thing. And so anyway, I'm not very good at social media. Don't get your cues from me. But uh, what I'm trying to say is we all have these things where we're just trying to make sure we are set up for micro cravings of fame. And if you're not one of them, then your children suffer from this or your peers or your nieces or nephews, they suffer from this. They did a study on 10 to 12 year olds and they asked them, what is the most important thing in life for you? What would be a success? They did not say to make a lot of money. They did not say to have meaningful relationships in their life. Their answer was to become famous. <laughs> They said, if I could be on a video that goes viral, I will be living the dream. Come on. If I could be a social media influencer, if I could be a YouTube star, I would be living the dream. They want to be famous. They want to stand out. And then how many of y'all are between 22 and 37? Raise your hand. Come on. 22 and 37 all over the place. Okay. I'm sorry in advance. I just set you up. Okay. <laughs> because anyone raising their hand. Out of 22 to 37-year-olds, they did a study, and they found that 50% of the people who raised their hand believed that a movie should be made about their life. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Come on. Some, some people are up here. 50% of those raised their hand going, Why y'all laughing? Come on. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty important, right? And, and this is the era that we live in because technology is huge. The entertainment industry is huge. And to be popular seems to be a very common thing. In fact, they asked one more study. What would someone do to become a household name? One out of 12 people said that they would disown their family if they could become famous. One out of nine took it a step further and said, I would leave my spouse if I could become famous. I'll find me another one once I get at the top or something like that. And then one out of six said, I would give up having kids if I could be famous. And I think the numbers get skewed even more depending on what kind of kids you've been around in your life. Come on. <laughs> Listen, these are really big things in fact I wrote it this way the desire for fame is sneaky it it promises so much yet it costs so much more than it tells you that you would ever dream it would cost and so we got to learn about the fame factor today there's nothing wrong with becoming famous let me be very clear about that there's nothing wrong with becoming famous in fact you could make the argument that God made a few people famous in the Bible one of which was King David. 
David was a shepherd boy who was pretty unknown. He was, he was in isolation. And the Bible says that God put David in a place where um, uh, uh, it says in 1 Chronicles 14, so David did as God commanded him. He was obedient to God. And then the Bible says this, and they struck down the Philistine army. So just because David did what God told him to do, now watch this, so David's fame spread through all the land. In other words, and the Lord made all the nations fear him. So God made David famous. Note, David didn't go searching for it. Then David's son Solomon, as he was approaching manhood and kingship, God showed up to Solomon and asked him, kind of like a genie in a bottle, I'm going to give you one wish. What gift would you like in your life? And thinking he would say fame or thinking he would say money, he did not. He said, I just want wisdom. And God said this, that is such a wise answer that not only will I give you wisdom, but I will give you all the riches and the fame of the land. So God has made a few people famous, and you could easily argue Jesus was pretty famous too. Everywhere he went, he drew crowds, and people wanted to know what he was up to. So God is not against fame, and there's nothing wrong with being famous but the pursuit of fame is dangerous. Come on. There's nothing wrong with being famous, but the pursuit of fame is very dangerous for your faith. And if you don't believe me, um, uh, realize this, that it's very difficult to focus on others when so many people are focusing on you. This is why fame is so difficult. Satan would love for you to bite the apple of fame and desire a bigger crowd and influence. And once again, there's no problem with it if God brings it to you, but the pursuit of it can get us all weird and off base because we're so focused on ourselves instead of focusing on others. If you don't believe me, then uh, listen to the great theologian Jim Carrey who once said, I hope everyone could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer. So what is the answer? In the book of Mark, um, it's one of the Gospels. If you don't know what the Gospels are, two-thirds of the way through your Bible is the New Testament. And it starts with four books. Make sure I'm holding four, not three. It's with four books. Okay, so four books that talk about Jesus in the present day. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the book of Mark, it stood out to me as I was reading it recently that Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples who sometimes struggled with fame too. They just kept it to themselves. It often became backwards chatter or it became a side uh, one-off conversation. Hey, Jesus, let us bend your ear. Can we sit next to you on the left and right when we come into the kingdom, right? They had these questions that they were kind of figuring out how they could ask too. Almost like I'm ashamed I'm feeling it, but I'm dealing with it. It's a very real thing. And in one conversation, Jesus says this in Mark 10, 31, many who are the greatest now, will be least important in heaven. And then he said, and those who seem, I think that's a powerful word in our scripture. Those who seem like they're not that big of a deal, least important now, will be the greatest deal in heaven one day. And 
It, it, it's as if Jesus was saying, if you want to be great today, you're going to receive your reward today. And that's how deep or extensive your reward is. A momentary, uh, moment, passing, fleeting time of pleasure, and then it's going to pass. Jesus also taught that when you pray, when you fast, when you, when you give, you should do these things not out in public, oh, I'm fasting today. I'm on week 92 of a 272 day fast. I've not eaten a single thing or drank anything for the last 272 days because I'm so spiritual. Jesus said, you take that junk public, you have received all the praise that you're ever going to receive. Keep that stuff as least important. Do it in private, and one day people go, how in the world did this brother become the most important person in heaven because I don't remember them making a big show of themselves on earth. So the question becomes, here's the principle. Don't live for the reward now, live for the reward later. That lines up with last week's message. Satan loves holding you captive to the moment. I want that. I desire that. I deserve that. And as long as we're captive to the moment, we sacrifice our, 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 our eternal for a temporal pleasure. And so the principle is don't get your reward now. Get your reward later. And so if the least become the greatest, then I wrote down in my notes, what must I do to become the least? I think Christians should ask the question after reading Mark 10, 31, if the least become greatest, what must I do to become the least? It almost, I'm a competitive guy, so forgive me if I like putting things in competition. It should almost be the competition who can get to the bottom first. <laughs> like who can give up more first. It doesn't mean God doesn't want to do great things in our life, and that doesn't mean some of us who have become famous have done something wrong. That's not the point of the message. The point is, what am I doing? Am I living for uh, the pursuit of fame, or are I, am I living for his name? Come on, that rhymes, so that's good. Put your hands together. Okay. All right. If it rhymes, it's good. Okay, anyway. So here's the question. How can I become least? Three takeaways. Three things you could do today. Take notes. Write this down. Here's the first thing you could do. Number one, exchange the pursuit of fame for meaning. Once again, if you become famous, if you get the blue check next to your name, if you're a great influencer, I'm not saying you've done anything wrong. Scripture's not saying you've done anything wrong. It's check your heart in the process because some people have become famous and we know their life seems pretty meaningless. Can I give you an example? There was one NBA star just a few years ago. Pretty famous guy. Won't say any names. Kyrie Irving for the Brooklyn Nets <laughs> decided to use his fame when all the cameras were in front of him and the microphones were in front of him. They're like, you're a famous guy. You must be very deep. Tell us how you feel in life. And he decided to insert the earth is flat. He, re he started this conspiracy that the earth is flat and he used his fame for something quite meaningless. <laughs> and the listen, I don't know all of his motives. I think he thought it was funny. He later apologized. I don't, I don't know if there are other ramifications. I just remember thinking this. You worked your butt off to be one of the best basketball players living today. And when they put the microphones in front of you and say, what do you have to say? You say, the earth is flat. <laughs> That's pretty meaningless. 
You have, your fame is for nothing. Like, why not steward your fame for something meaningful? It shows me that there's not much substance going on, okay? In fact, I wrote it this way. Living for fame can make you insane. Some of the things people will do to become famous, I'll let you record my marriage and I'll cheat on him because ratings go up. And so if, if that will make you watch me, I will do that. If you don't believe me, look at the generation who created, look at the guys who created Jack A. You know the movie? I grew up in college watching Jack A on MTV. I wasn't saved yet. Forgive a brother. Okay. You're like, what is Jack A? These are a bunch of Jack A's. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Who will do anything if you'll just watch? <laughs> they will do life-threatening things, stupid things, tick people off. If you'll just watch and make me famous. If you'll buy a ticket to my movie, I'll do it. And so my question is, can you, will you live to draw a crowd or will you live for a purpose? Now, if you live for a purpose and you draw a crowd, so be it. But living to draw a crowd while um, uh, abdicating, if that's the right word, your purpose is wrong. We got to, God made us on purpose for a purpose. So if living for fame can make you insane, I had to complete my rhyme here. Living for meaning makes life redeeming. Oh, come on. You're like, I need to write that one down, okay? If living for vain makes you insane, living for meaning makes life redeeming. Uh, li listen, I, I, think, I think missionaries get this better than anybody else. They're like, I don't need to become famous. In fact, I'll give up everything. I'll give up my name. I'll give up my accounts. I'll give up my, 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 my homeland. And I will go if it means one more name knows the name above every name. His name is Jesus. I think... We need to get back to this, where, where we, we compete to become the least. And, and lest you think that I'm attacking people who are famous, let me give you a great example of someone who's famous but lived for meaning instead of becoming famous. How many of y'all love our series at the movies? Come on. Yeah, it's one of our favorite series is that we do every year. We're about to do it in November, and we use four different movies to teach biblical um, uh, truths from those movies, much like Jesus told stories. One of the movies I considered that did not make the cut was a movie that came out this uh, past uh, 12 months called The American Underdog, which is about Kurt Warner, who, who was a Super Bowl winning uh, 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 quarterback and got inducted into the Hall of Fame. In the year 2000, um, he completed what seemed to be a miraculous journey of being going from a super mar supermarket nobody to a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And when he won the Super Bowl, here's how he used his fame. Go ahead and show that. First things first, did you say anything before you guys went out for that play? Well, first things first, I got to give the praise and glory to my Lord and Savior up above. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to conclude with one last moment and one last thank you. To the one whom, without a doubt, has left the deepest mark and has become the cornerstone of my life. In the early stage of my career, I had a chance to stand at a podium similar to this in front of millions of people after Super Bowl 34. In that moment, I made sure the first thing I did was say thank you to this person for what they had done for me. 
Now, many felt I was thanking him for orchestrating a Super Bowl win or making my passes fly straighter or causing my opponents to make more mistakes. But those people had it all wrong. The gesture was my way of acknowledging how fortunate I considered myself for the moments he had given me, thanking him for the trials which prepared me for this platform, for showing me that with him, the impossible becomes possible, and for choosing me as the lead in this once-in-a-lifetime role. The rest, as they say, is history, bringing us to this, the famous last words, and the only place this extraordinary journey can end. You know, his final moment was for me. Mine is for him. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, man. That touches me every single time. His final moment was for me. My final moment as I leave the fame stage is for him. And he gives all. His life is on purpose. There is meaning and substance behind it. So number one, exchange the pursuit of fame for the pursuit of meaning. Number two, exchange selfishness for selflessness. Come on. I've got to stop thinking of myself, my wealth, my shoes, my phone, my appearance, my followers, my likes, my views. I've got to stop thinking of me, and I've got to spend more time focusing on giving up myself for kingdom matters and for building the kingdom of God. Some pretty important people who wrote more than two-thirds of our Bible saw themselves like this. They could be considered the most famous writers of our time or the most famous, I'm not of our time, I mean of Jesus' time, or some pretty powerful people like Paul who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament and this is how he described himself. He would say this, I, Paul, a servant, say that word, servant, a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm not a superstar. I am a servant. Or how about Jesus' very own brother James, who wrote the book of James. And he could have said, I am Jesus' brother. I'm a pretty important person. All y'all listen up. I got something to say. <laughs> That's not how he started his letter. This is what he wrote. I, James, a, say that word with me, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the title he just gave his very own brother instead of that shrub over there. Come on, come on. He, he gave honor. Or Jesus also had another brother. His name was Jude. And when Jude wrote his book in Jude 1, he too took the same approach when he said, um, I, Jude, a, say that word with me, servant of Jesus Christ, and by the way, a brother of James. In other words, like, I, I'm putting myself so low that I'm using my, my brother James's name instead of Jesus' name because he's on a whole nother level. We've got to give up selfishness for selflessness. And so uh, you want to become famous for something. I say let's become famous for serving. Romans 16 verse 1 says it this way. He's, Paul's talking to the church and he says, With all the generous hospitality. In other words, the way you serve. With all the generous hospitality we Christians have become famous for. What should we become famous for? Serving. Giving up. 
caring for others and making sure that the, the, the grace that we receive is extended to other people who realize that Jesus is offering it for anyone else who calls upon the name of the Lord. That's why we say we're about three things. He lifts, I lift, and it's most important you don't stop there and get to the end of the journey that we should be living out our lives as we lift. In other words, we serve, we, we love, we, we care, we go out and we deny ourselves and care for other people and love on people because Christ first loved us. And so if you didn't know this about when you give at our church, a lot of you faithfully give and we're so thankful for you who do that. Did you know that 10% or more of everything you give goes to make a kingdom impact outside of our church walls because we need to live life generous and open-handed and we model that as well as a church. And one of the things that we do is we give globally to an organization called Children's Cup, which we recently got to go to. Um, I got to go to with uh, one of our dream teamers and we're going Going on our first missions team trip this coming February that's already full of dream teamers come on and so listen we're making an impact I want you to see where your giving is going check out how your selflessness is making an impact hey, I just want to give you a quick update the last three or four months we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of what's going on in Children's Cup, you know, during COVID, couldn't really travel. I, I had, couldn't get out to our countries to see what's going on for the most part. But the last three or four months, I've been able to go uh, to all of our countries and see what's up firsthand. And I'm telling you, I'm so encouraged. Our team in Eswatini that has uh, fought through political unrest and just our missionaries all having to leave uh, to go because of COVID evacuations and stuff, the way they've led through it. Uh, our new leader in South Africa, Karen Von Sill, is amazing. The work she's doing there. Uh, we've got chicken coop programs. We've got new care points that are starting to come up through feeding sites and, and be mature through that. Uh, just amazing to see how Africa is, is growing and maturing through the challenges that we've had with COVID and other stuff. And then in Latin America, it was my first time to go to Mexico and Belize and see what's going on there. Uh, and just, oh my goodness, the team, the way our teams pull together to work together to serve these kids, massive challenges. There's places in, there's a community in Mexico where we have a care point that it's, it's like cartel, drug, it's just messed up in the, in the sense of it's a rough place. But the team there that's working with those kids, I've never seen such love. And uh, the kids, you, you, it reflects on them. You can feel that with them. Uh, some stories, we took a video team out and shot some stories uh, with these kids telling their stories, some of the workers, parents of the kids at the care point telling their stories. I cannot wait for you to start seeing those stories come out. It is amazing. I'm so encouraged by what we get to do as a team as Children's Cup. Honduras and the Dominican Republic, both of those, I've been to Honduras four times now this year. Uh, we had a field director summit where we brought all of the, the field directors from our various countries in for a couple days to talk about some new things we're working on with our programming at Children's Cup. All of it just makes me so proud to be a part of something and so grateful to people like you that give to make it all come together. It is something that's working and it is something that's getting better, growing, reaching more kids, doing more with them. One of the proudest moments I had was a couple weeks ago uh, for Serve Day. We had all our care points do something. Every care point did something to reach out to their community. A lot of it was the kids going out to serve 
and for them to experience God using them, whether it's picking up trash or going to visit widows, visit out the elderly. There was some of the kids who went and prayed over the elderly. I mean, to see these kids who've been learning about Jesus at the care point, to go out and actually lay hands on the elderly at a nursing home and pray over them. Oh my goodness, it's just, this is, this is what we're supposed to do. And when I see those things happening, it makes me proud to be a part of something like Children's Cup, but it also makes me super grateful for you because what you're giving to, it's not something I have to come back and try to make, find some way to make you feel good about what you're giving to. No, it's, it's actually working. It's good. It's amazing what God is doing and these kids are being transformed. It's, it's just something I'm just so, I'm so excited about. So grateful to you guys for being faithful with your giving and I cannot wait to see what God does the rest of this year. And we love you guys. You just gotta know it. All of us at Children's Cup, we love you and thank you so much. Come on, you're making a difference, Lift Church. Listen, Children's Cup ministers in many different nations, but the assignment God's given us, when I talked to that man at Children's Cup and I said, where's your greatest need? He said, Belize. And so we've been invested in Belize and we're ramping that up and I can't wait. In late February, we're sending a team, so start praying about that. And, 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 um, but it's just going to be great because... Um, We've got to give up selfishness. I could stay home and keep all, uh, uh, keep all the account at home, or I can get, pursue selflessness. And so, can I be transparent? I need it, because otherwise I gravitate back towards selfishness. I gravitate back towards things I want, what I need, what my family needs. And so I've got to pursue selflessness. And that's why we do constant serve reminders. And we encourage you to serve and join our dream team and serve because it's more about what it does for you. I had one man in the first experience say, when I start serving other people, that's when God normalizes me. It reminds me, I get my soul back. The anxiety and the pain start to deplete, and I start remembering my purpose. And so here's our next serve opportunity. Is this Friday. They're putting it on the screen. We're transforming a teacher's faculty lounge at Glen Avenue. Come on. We believe in our teachers. We believe in the next generation right here in our own backyard. And we want to provide a place where teachers can have reprieve and be refreshed so that they can give their best to kids. It's becoming a more challenging environment but we got their back come on so we've already interiorly designed Donna one of our very own members went with Pastor Aaron and they've got a sweet design for this place we just need people who can paint do cabinetry clean up move furniture assemble furniture if you could do that this Friday pursue selflessness just uh, 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 use your phone and point your, your photo at that QR code and sign up and then finally number three as I close exchange my opinion for God's opinion how do I win with the fame factor I gotta quit thinking so much about my opinion of myself am I wearing the right thing I gotta stop thinking about your opinion of me which affects my opinion can I say it lovingly like this I love you church and I want you to approve of me but my attention that's not where it should be I got to keep my attention on Jesus and you've got to do the same thing too. Because you'll find yourselves in moments where you can pursue micro cravings of fame even though you know I'm about to sin. I'm about to take it over the line. I bet God's up there going, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Come on. We know we get in those environments. I got to quit worrying about your opinion of me and my opinion of me and get back to living for the audience of one. 
Come on, church, you already know it, but you need to hear it again. There's only one audience, one applause you need to live for. And if the world applauds it too, awesome. But we've got to pursue the audience of one and care about God's opinion. Once again, David was one of the most famous people alive. How did he use his fame? Well, one day his wife came home and goes, what a king you are. You're so famous, you made a fool of yourself. There's a mockery of you. You're more honorable than this. The position should be more prestigious. You look like an idiot. And he said this, I will worship my God out in the streets, regardless of what they think of me. I will become even more undignified than this if it means lifting up his name. Because I'm not living for the approval of my wife, living for the approval of the crowds. I'm living for the approval of him. By the way, single people, that's why you need to make sure you find a Jesus-loving spouse. Because if you live for his name, all of a sudden we've already got mutual agreement that that makes you more attractive, in my opinion. Come on. And I like living for his opinion. That also blesses her opinion. Amen. Come on. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That's a marriage series. We're going to help you out. Galatians 1.10 says this. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? He says, if I were still trying to please people, I could not accomplish this one. Because I would no longer be a servant of Christ. I would be a servant of the crowd. I would be a servant of whatever you think is popular. I would be a servant of whatever makes you like me more and click my video and give me a check or get, make my account bigger. No, 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 no. I too, like Paul and Jude and James, I choose to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Come on, can we do that today? Here's one simple thing. Live for God's opinion above any other. Live for God's opinion above any other. Let me pray for you. God, you are so good. You are enough. You you are enough. What you did for me and what you're doing for so many, I know your Holy Spirit's moving right now upon many people's lives who know they're not right with you. And Father, you're a God of redemption, forgiveness, and freedom. And you're about to set people free. Many people have already been set free. And you delivering us from the pit of hell is enough. That your name is who I need to make famous, God. God, help me to forget because forget about the crowds because the crowds are loud I'm not I, I know you're not going to take us out of our culture what I pray over our church is that in the middle of our culture God we would keep the name that's above every name the most famous one we would keep you most important in our lives help us to live for meaning help us to continue to give up like you gave up if you had not given up we would be damned to hell but you came and you forgave us of our sins by giving up your very one and only son. You gave up your best so that we could be free. Help us give up our best too. Because we know you'll provide and you'll take care. And you've got purpose and meaning. And Father, help us live for your name above every other name. In Jesus' name. If you receive that, come on, just say amen. Amen. And whether your heads are still bowed, your eyes are closed, I want to give everybody an opportunity to be right with Jesus. Some of you know that the Holy Spirit has been working on you. You wouldn't even call it the Holy Spirit. You just know something's going on on the inside of you that's like, I'm not right with God, but I want to get right with God. Or maybe your mind is wrecked that if I had to appear before God, I'm thinking about the things I don't want Him to bring up. The problem is He knows about all things. There is no secret you can keep. 
That's why God sent his son Jesus to pay the price for that sin so that if you confess it before the Lord, he is faithful to cover that and renew your innocence again. He'll hold it against you no longer, the Bible says. If you're in this place without anyone looking around, I won't embarrass you or call you forward. But I don't want you to be embarrassed to say, God's working on me, and I want you to pray for me, Pastor Drew, and I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just quickly throw your hand up in the air without waiting? Yeah, thank you. Yes, yes. Come on, thank you for your courage. No one's looking around, but you are bold and you are brave. Come on, people online, and you, you know... God's dealing with you and there's some things you need to get right would you just write in the chat that's me too include me in the prayer and then all of the church together is going to pray out loud with those who raised their hands those who wanted to raise their hands come on let's give a confession of our faith repeat after me church just say Jesus I give you my life I am a sinner I've done stupid things I've messed up and I know I've hurt you in many ways Will you forgive me for my sin? I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he lived a perfect life and then died on the cross to pay for my sin. Because of that, Father, you make me free. You forgive me because I believe in you. So I get a new start, and I pray that my new start could be used for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen.